This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And as always, I'm here with Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you, Max? I'm fine, thank you. Who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Well, today uh, we're going to be talking to Ted Sorum, and Ted is a co-founder of Mantle. And I'm really excited about Mantle because of well, it's a new metal printing technology. Like most are, are based, I, I think you know, are either you know direct binder jet type technologies or their their laser powder bit fusion. This is something different. This is, this is a paste-based technology. So that's one thing that's different about them. The second thing that's different about them is that they're already producing hundreds of thousands of parts. So that's nice to already get out of the gate with the, with the technology that actually makes parts. And the third thing is that rather than focusing on saying we're the best thing to ever happen in metal or something, these guys are focusing very much on tooling. Uh, and I know that's a pet subject of yours too, Max, so that's, that's very good. I think. <laughs> it is. Uh, so, and, and I think it's an interesting focus. I think it's interesting to now have an application focus. So, so, so here to tell us uh, all about that is Ted. So, so welcome to the 3D Pod, Ted. Yeah, thanks for having me. So first, like, okay, how does Mantle really work? Or your, 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 your technology, uh, you know, uh, true shape, I think it's called. Uh, how does it really work? Yeah, so to start with that, uh, true shape technology is named as such because uh, we're really producing a net part instead of a near net part. And I think that's a pretty big difference. Uh, I don't think they give credit in basketball for when you get near the net. I think you actually have to go through it. Um, <laughs> to get any credit in that game. And we think that's well, similar here in, in mm -hmm. metals is that getting to the actual parts you want is a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, so our technology is um, sort of a three-step process. As you mentioned, we have a, a paste material uh, that's metal powders in a liquid carrier uh, that's extruded into the shape of um, the part on a layer-wise basis. So imagine something that's very similar to what you do with a, an FDM plastic printer, but with this paste material. Um, we then dry that layer. Uh, and that drying is pretty important because it gets rid of all of the liquid components of that paste material. And it settles those metal powders down into a dry, dense compact this, um, onto the build plate. And then what we do is we repeat that process for a number of layers. And what's you know pretty unique about what we do is that it's a hybrid process. So combining both additive and subtractive in the machine to get a, a quality level you wouldn't be able to achieve otherwise. And so after printing that layer and drying it and doing that for multiple layers, we come in with high-speed cutting tools shape and what we call shape refinement. And we cut off a tiny bit of the edges of those layers and and in doing so, we achieve a part that comes out and, and rivals a CNC part in, in its quality. Um, the last part of the process is after that uh, multiple steps, um, you finished going all, building the whole part. It's put into a high temperature furnace to densify in a sintering process, very akin to what the binder jetting process uses. Okay, okay. So first of all, I mean, does the, the, the printing and the shaping is a different machine, right? Or is it the same machine or is it... All in the same machine, all done fully automatically uh, by our software in terms of those processes, which is pretty unique because mm -hmm. a lot of people talk about hybrid processing. And what they're really talking about is, um, you know, put a part in and 
uh, do its additive process and then maybe every once in a while hit the pause button and someone comes in with cam software and manually codes the cutting to mm -hmm. shape you know reshape a portion of that part and they start up again ours is done fully automatically in the same machine in situ you pour a slurry layer down for lack of a better term you have a better term um and then you center it afterwards how long does it take to to dry each layer to get rid of all the moisture um i would say uh, a few minutes uh, is what we do right now per layer um, mm -hmm. to get it fully dried. Are you throwing a heat lamp over it, or <laughs> we use a variety it? of methods to do the drying? We use uh, infrared light, but also hot air and, and uh, a temperature controlled environment. So for me, it's a, it's a really interesting. It's like a Lumix Advanced, like you know, it's, it's, it's self made hybrid with like a, a pace extruder, right? And then doing kind of like a binder jet analogous process. Like it's like, but are you going to sell a machine, or is this literally a service, or are you going to stay a service? What's what, what's the future of this then? Yeah, good question. So first, I'll, I'll mention one aspect that's pretty mm -hmm. different from like a Lumex or uh, mm -hmm. the Sodic machines, which are the mm -hmm. powder bed fusion machines. Those machines use you know uh, melted metal powders uh, mm -hmm. to build up the part, and then they stop every once in a while and come in with high speed cutting to to cut mm -hmm. that metal. Uh, when they're cutting it, it's it's a steel, uh, and so it has to happen very slowly. Given that, what's pretty unique about our process is that during our shape refinement. What we're cutting is this compact of, of metal powders um, that has a tiny bit of binder there to hold it together. And so what mm -hmm. we're cutting is, is extremely easy to cut. And yeah. so we can cut that at speeds that are 10 times faster than you could ever cut steel. And it really mm -hmm. makes a huge difference in the productivity of our process and the time to complete. So that yeah. one point, and then I'll come back to your question, which is no, well, uh, what's our- interesting. One thing's really interesting about that is that in a binder jet process, you could do something similar, but your green part, is not strong enough, right? It'll fall apart. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's really interesting that you made it strong enough to withstand a cutting tool. That that to me is really interesting already. Yeah, I, I agreed. And you're right. The binder jetting parts are, are very weak. Ours has to. Our materials are pretty unique in that they have to do a lot of things at the same time. Uh, one is being able to be printed, uh, you know, dried, but then also to be able to be cut and hold really sharp edges. And so, you know, people have to be careful handling our parts without any post-processing because you can cut yourself on the sharpness of the edges, which is pretty unique in the, mm -hmm. in the metal printing space, uh, given our competitors. That's pretty cool. Okay, so what, what's the plan here? Are you going to make a machine eventually or what are you going towards? Yeah, so our, our business model is to provide this technology to our customers so that they can produce the parts they need in their facilities. So we are a machine manufacturer um, mm -hmm. who sells our customers the machines, and we are a materials provider providing these unique pastes in which uh, are, are required to be able to do what we do because, as, as you mentioned early on, ours is an entirely new process. You can't, you know, there's no website out there that sells these materials because we've invented it. And then I think it's really interesting that, the, okay, so this already is quite interesting. And what made you guys decide, you know what, tooling is a thing for us? Like, well, two different things. Like, first, uh, a separate, what made you guys decide, you know what, we're going to just focus on one application, laser-like focus on one application, and just only do that? What, what was the, the logic behind that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's actually a big differentiator uh, of our company compared to a lot out there. Um, so... My background is is a mechanical engineer and um, worked at a variety of industries from uh, kind of low volume stateside scientific equipment to uh, mass produced um, consumer products and, and toys uh, done with contract manufacturers overseas. And so I've seen how products get made. And 
as we were looking at the opportunity for our technology, we knew we could print metal parts pretty early. And I can tell you more about the kind of the uh, instigation of our company, but we wanted to make sure we were providing real value. And I, what I see in 3D printing, whether it's metals or plastics over and over again, is a research group comes out of a university somewhere, they announce in a paper that we, they can do 3D printing in a new, exciting way. And then they, they get some money and they, they start a company and they start maybe even selling these machines. And then they spend the next five years trying to figure out what it's good for. Because the Venn diagram, the intersection of 3D printing, you know, the parts properties, the surface finish, um, the time it takes, the cost, it's really hard, to be honest, to find an, an intersection in the marketplace where you can build a strong growing company uh, in 3D printing. And certainly we've seen that as, you know, companies have struggled to move from prototyping, which is an amazing use case for 3D printing into production applications. And uh, the tooling space just ticked a lot of boxes for us um, in terms of what's appropriate for a company, an early stage company to commercialize. And, um, you know, I looked, uh, given my background after engineering, I went to business school and started a first company and and stepped away from that company to start this one or to join my co-founder and start it. And we wanted to understand what this technology could be good for. And so I asked a, a tons of different industries, um, you know, what they're using 3D printing for. And the kind of the most compelling conversation was with someone at Honeywell in the aerospace side. And they said, hey, we're, we're starting to use powder bed fusion technology in a real way here. And it's, it's pretty exciting for us. Uh, and then I explained what we're doing. And he said, oh, oh, but, but you realize that it took us five to seven years of playing with these machines to get to the point where we got to where we are today. Mm -hmm. And when he realized that the difference, the uniqueness of our technology, he said, don't start with us. Don't start with aerospace because we'll buy one machine and you won't see us again for five years uh, until, until we're ready to maybe buy another one down the road. And so the tooling space is one that has uh, it's a huge market. Um, $45 billion in tools are made each year. And there's a pretty limited number of metals that are needed to address this market um, in the tool steel category that are used for injection molds and even die casts and, and stamping. And so with this very narrow uh, band of metals that we'd have to develop, we can attack a, a huge market and have a, an outsized impact on manufacturing in general um, versus, I think, what a lot of people on the metal side have been able to do. Yeah, I, I love are this. You, by the way. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is. I'm very curious now. Uh, are the yeah. are the are you making tools from scratch? Are you modifying tools? Can you do both? Yeah. Is it faster? So, I assume it's faster than EDM. Spark erosion on a on a tool. <laughs> uh, exactly. I love people who, have, who understand these technologies. It's fun to <laughs> the, the word EDM. I don't have to explain it. Um, right. <laughs> yes. So um, we're focused today on the most costly and time consuming part of the tool. So that is the actual cavity or core where the plastic hits the metal and forms the plastic part you want in the end. Um, so, you know, the ejector plates, the, the other parts are, are much more efficient to make with a CNC machine, get a block of metal and just cut a couple holes in it and you've got an ejector plate. So don't 3D print that. But the actual cavity where your, you know, the, the, the surface of your uh, computer mouse comes from you know, that takes a lot of time and effort to make via processes, as you mentioned. But, you know, we really compete not against 3D printing. We compete against CNC machining and EDM in the mold making process. And in our analysis on this, on making these inserts um, with our customers, we found about a 50% reduction in the cost of making those inserts and up to an 80% reduction in the time. And that's, that's transformational to this industry. 
No, I think so. As as a strategy thing, I mean, a lot of people just say like like they tackle a whole bunch of different things, which spreads them out. You know, I think there's also a big problem in the industry that everyone's talking to the same people. We talked about this before. Like the same guy at Toyota has had everyone pitch them <laughs> already. You know, the same person at uh, you know, like Lockheed has had every single OEM has has, has pitched to her as well. So I think the idea of of, of laser like focus is is to me really exciting because it, it makes everything so simple. You don't spend months and months and months talking to medical device companies and, 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 and all sorts of other stuff. And I think at the same time, if you do well, you can still have other industries approach you and actually be in more industries than that. And I think yeah, just forming your company, you know, you need a sales guy. Well, what kind of sales guy are we going to get? Well, we're going to get someone who's experienced in tooling, you know, that kind of thing. So it makes every choice simpler as well. So strategically, I love it. But on the other hand, it's like, but isn't this whole tooling industry kind of a Chinese thing nowadays? Uh, isn't it like is that where isn't that where all the expertise is? Shouldn't you have like a really big China focus then, or not? Preaching the choir in terms of the first part of that, where you talked about the focus, and that's a big part of our, our zeitgeist is making sure a that we're solving a real customer problem. We're not providing just a technology they have to figure out, and b that we know the problem we're solving. And we've been designing this system to solve this problem, you know, since 2015 uh, or just after when we when we founded the company. Um, you bring up a good point. Uh, the U.S. tooling market is about $8 billion a year. Uh, $6 billion of that's made in, in the country, and $2 billion is imported from overseas. The Chinese market is $26 billion right yeah. now. And most of, a lot of that is you know, sent elsewhere in the world or used there for manufacturing. So the market in, in China is massive, and, and we'll get there eventually. But we don't need to, to be there today to, to uh, build a strong company because the demand here in the states is so large, and you know the the macro trends are are blowing in our direction. Um, the global pandemic and you know onshoring is real, and we hear it over and over from customers that they're like, you know, we used to get all of our tools from China, but we've had two tools now stuck outside the port in Long Beach for two months, and we can't start production. And we either have to do that, or we're paying to airship, you know, one of the super heavy Heavier. piece of steel. Heavier. Um, you know, on a on a plane, and so now the cost advantage of of Asia is going away, and so what's why would we want to have the risk and the, the the language separation to to do the manufacturing there? So um, we're starting focusing on on U.S. customers and U.S. applications, particularly to be honest, to to keep our IP close to you know, close to home. Um, but we certainly have a strategy to move into Asian markets longer term. Is is the tooling? It's almost exactly the same. It's like I can do a half a million shot tool. I can do a million shot tool. Same, same. Uh, or, or is it different lifetime on the tools yeah, than what we so, see traditionally? You know, one of the things that we looked at is that for 3D printing, you really have to look at each application separately. And we've obviously done that to an extent that most people don't by focusing on, on one. But to address any particular application in 3D printing, it starts with having a material that meets the needs of that application, right? It doesn't matter if the surface finish looks great if the material cracks in half in the, you know, the first time you use it. So um, in terms of our materials, we produced and have announced two materials, one which is sort of a both prototyping, but also up to mid-volume production. So think of you know, 500,000 shots or cycles on the tool is uh, well within the range of this first material, which we call P2X. And our second material is an H13, which is a very commonly used tool steel for, you know, uh, for very high volume tools like what consumer products of the apples and Kindle and those sort of products would be made with. 
And we've proven out that our materials are, you know, basically plus or minus 10% of the longevity and abrasion resistance of, of those tool steels where that are done used traditionally. So, um, you know, we're past that sort of entry level that we have a material that's got the longevity and that works in these applications, which is sort of entry stakes and, and exciting milestone for us to have, have surmounted. So cheaper, said, okay. faster, same. <laughs> well, that, that's actually pretty important because what, what I've seen in manufacturing in particular is that the, those companies that go in and try to revolutionize a big portion of ma- manufacturing uh, often fail because the ecosystem moves slowly, right? It, it's hard to move this ship that's been so focused on quality and, and doing things a very predictable way over and over again really quickly. And so what we've done is taken this one component of the tool and made it faster and cheaper, but kept all the other parts, right? So the injection molding is the same. Uh, the mold design can be the same. And so we're not asking you know, all the engineers in the world to learn something new. We're saying design it like you have. We can print it. And by the way, because it's 3D printed, we can actually make it a better tool because we can cool the tool or have the fluid flow part of the, the molding process uh, work even better than it could ever with a traditionally made tool. I love the idea that inserts and tools are like, you know, they're, they're not the ideal shape to print, but they're like pretty much amazing shapes to print generally. So it's one of the few areas where you can actually claim this without getting in trouble with it, you know, because uh, it's just like, you know, half of a, a uh, molding uh, setup, right? So the so I like that that, that you that you 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 guys like in tooling, like you have defam problems and design for additive and all these complicated files and parts. If you want to, you know, That's if you're going to be doing this conformal cooling thing, which I still think o- like almost only happens in presentations, right? More than in real life. <laughs> but <laughs> well, so so that's interesting, right? So when I talk to a company about conformal cooling, you know, you they usually do a calculation in their head. They say, okay. What percentage of the tools I make would be would benefit from this? And for the, the audience, conformal cooling means that you are creating these water lines that go through a tool, which are normally drilled. And you can only get so much geometry by drilling holes into a part and, and sealing them up to, to have water flow and cool the mold. But with 3D printing, you can create helixes and you can put the cooling lines right next to the surface to really take the heat away to turn that molten plastic into a solid part. And... And these companies come back and the, the calculation they're doing in their head is, okay, it's going to take longer to do it with 3D printing. It's going to cost a lot more. And mm-hmm. so where can I really justify using this technology? Okay, here's a part here where I could probably get twice as many parts per hour if I did it this way. That, that mm-hmm. I can justify that one. So it's maybe 10% of my parts. Yeah. I like to flip that around on its head and say, what if you could make your inserts faster mm-hmm. for lower cost and in the design cycle for every tool you make, you have the ability to put those cooling lines wherever you want. How many mm-hmm. of your tools would you make with this technology? The mm-hmm. answer is all of them. And so you have to get rid of that cost and time component to really get people excited about you know, designing in a, in a new way. One more thing is what I think is interesting is that for me, I've always said like, well, at the same time, the production runs are becoming more like in cars and stuff. We, we don't have four models of car. We have 20, you know? And and the cars are refreshed every year, every two years, and you know, so every the volumes of these things were going down. And and for me, it always has been the case. Like if Lego does it for the classic Lego brick, of course it will make sense, right? <laughs> and then for a ton of this other stuff, you know, the payback period is is much longer, and and the time to market is so critical that that, that these guys, yeah, like they like you said, they're just not taking the time to do it. Like I, I need those, I need that week, man. 
you know, I need that yep. work. <laughs> totally. And if you can actually, you know, deliver upon the, the faster production at the far end and speed up the design cycle, which per your mm-hmm. point, you know, that the cycle, there's more models and they want them faster, right? They want those products released sooner. And so I thought the cost uh, improvement of our technology would be where OEMs gravitated to when they looked at what we were able to offer, but it really comes down to time to market. Um, you know, the companies like Apple have, are sitting on loads of cash, but they can't change right. the physics and the time it takes to make a tool, except for with something like our technology. And also really interesting, can you then tap holes and then drill out like these channels, like in the wet state, let's say? Yeah, so you certainly can. Um, there's certain processes that are that might be uh, faster to do afterwards. So some tapping is uh, can be done by hand even afterwards with the pilot mm-hmm. hole, but you can certainly... Um, put threads into this material in in the soft state and and center those in place for sure. Okay, okay. That, that and then really afterwards, when you have the tooling, you can if you wanted to make a tool mod, you could still spark erode it. I assume. Yeah. So you know, we for, we for metal off for a metal off tool modification. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Tool safe uh, modification. Yeah, we we realize that no matter how good we made our materials, there's going to be fixes and people are going to need to make adjustments, and so. Um, you know, we've done a material performance study that shows that you can, but for both our materials that they machine, just like standard materials that you can EDM them, you can weld them, you can texture them either chemically or with lasers. And so, you know, in terms of the mold makers, this, this feels and acts just like what they're used to after the 3d printing process. Wow. So how did this get started? (laughs) I think I mentioned early on that, um, I, I, had my first company and I took a real departure after business school or during business school from my engineering background and started a company in the payment space um, and did that for a number of years and then stepped away uh, from the day-to-day operations to sort of figure out the next thing to do after creating a multinational profitable payments company. Um, But to be fully honest, uh, payments were an interesting detour for me, but at the end of the day, I, I didn't. I looked around. I didn't know what I created. You know, it's the most ephemeral of businesses. I feel like moving money, especially when this is all online. And so I wanted to get back to something that, at the end of the day, you know, when I dropped what I'd created, it hurt when it hit my foot. And that was <laughs> kind of one of my key requirements uh, for my next opportunity. And I uh, started as an entrepreneur in residence at SRI, the research institute that you know, is uh, located down by Stanford. And was digging through their portfolio of computer vision and AI and robotics technologies to see if there was a company to be spun out of there and got really deep into the robotics space and actually home robotics. Um, But at the same time, was introduced to my co-founder by a a mutual friend uh, with Stanford Connections and and saw some metal parts that he printed. They were in, in silver at the time and said, wow, I don't know much about metal printing, but this seems really interesting. And by the way, I don't think silver is a big market. Um, I think that's going to be a hard company to get mm-hmm. off the ground. You know, come back to me when when you've developed something that's more industrial, because I think the application for metal printing is really on the industrial side, not on the you know jewelry or or dental side. Unless you want like a, a conductive mo- trace or something, you know. Well, so that's like the, the interesting story here because my yeah. uh, the developer of our technology, Steve Connor, my co-founder, was had started working on this technology after leaving the solar industry where he'd mm-hmm. come up with a centerable metal um, to be put on the back of solar panels to take the place of silver, actually, if that was lower oh. cost. And so, the, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I don't, um, 
I don't know what it was exactly. He won't tell me because they <laughs> okay, no, a lot of IP. But um, so um, so he came back and, and showed me a piece of steel uh, about a month and a half later, and he sort of laughed at me as I put it on the edge of a table and tried to bend it. And he's like, "You're gonna cut yourself. You're gonna tear your finger off. It's me. It's metal. It's not, you know, some other esoteric piece of uh, ceramic or something." And and I, you know, using very rudimentary initial machines, you know, he was printing metal. And at the time, back in 2015, 2016, even that was was amazing. And and we joined forces and I, I stepped away from SRI and started to look at the applications for this. And that's what started the investigation with Honeywell and elsewhere to, to the tooling space we ended up in. You're two guys. You've got an interesting technology, a part to show, which is nice. The business case, did you make the, did you start making the business case or did you go deeper into the engineering first or? From the very beginning, because of, I think, my background in product development, I, I didn't really care about the technology for the technology's sake. I only cared about the technology if there was a problem to solve with it. And so we were very solutions focused from the very beginning to try to figure out what to use this for and knew that, you know, maybe I could get some grant money to continue to develop the technology for technology's sake, but I wanted to create a business out of this. And so, um, yeah, we... we uh, did a bunch of assessment with potential customers, uh, need finding, uh, customer development, and you know went out and raised uh, a seed round um, from investors based on the technology and the opportunity. And then even at that stage, it was it was around tooling uh, as kind of the leading edge that we hadn't you know fully locked into it until maybe a year later. And then and then after that, I mean, was it difficult to go to that next step once you had seed funding? Because what we always see is that people have. You know, every everybody has a tough time turning a thing into a machine or an idea into a machine. I mean, I've been on a couple of these projects as well, and and it's 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 pretty much a nightmare. Was that the same thing for you guys? Or, um, I would I, I would say no. It, 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 it that is a real leap. Um, but that's what I've been doing. You know, for my whole uh, engineering career was product development, and so that part didn't scare me. Uh, it's taken us a while to to announce our technology and to um, really come out more visibly. It's really only the beginning of last year that we we publicly announced, and um, that time between our you know our start in 2015 until beginning of last year was spent more on developing the materials and getting to the material properties and to the tolerances and the surface finish, and a little less on the machine side. Uh, we were able to you know borrow existing technologies heavily and then combine them into a really unique printing system, but one in which the individual components that we put together are pretty pretty tried and true and tested and and don't use a you know high powered laser that can cut your fingers off if you're not careful so that <laughs> kept our costs low <laughs> no osha no yeah OSHA cost low because our, our workers comp was lower <laughs> yeah. right <laughs> uh, <laughs> which in california is a big deal um uh, anyway, uh so so uh so and then at one point you but you and there wasn't like you did guys you guys did remain like kind of on the DL kind of on the stealth mode and like semi stealth mode for a really long time. Right. Uh, exactly. Uh, for this reason to get okay, the technology okay. right. That, was that difficult for you as well? Was it like, were you like sometimes like, Oh, we have to really struggle to find customers or, or does your laser like focus also mean that, Hey, let's call everybody making tooling. And then that, that kind of the sales part of it was also simple because of that. The, the getting customers was one of the reasons that, we were allowed to not announce early. And that's because it was very simple um, to find folks that 
had evaluated powder bed fusion or other 3D metal printing technologies in the tooling space. Mm-hmm. You know, any whether it would be AMUG or um, these other 3D rapid, there's mm-hmm. always sessions about tooling, right? Mm-hmm. And and so you could go to those sessions and find the guys who were educated and they were always willing to talk to you because they saw the problems with the existing technology. And so one of the reasons we didn't announce for so long is that we didn't have a problem getting those mm-hmm. customer conversations at the, mm-hmm. you know, both uh, at the mold maker level and all the way up to the OEM level mm-hmm. um, that set us up for, you know, the position we're in today. We're working very closely with a number of, of OEMs and tool makers to both validate and deploy the technology. Yeah. And an OEM for you is a company that? Uh, OEMs are folks like um, L'Oreal uh, okay. that we've announced. It's, it's one of the world's largest appliance manufacturers that we're working with, world's largest or one of the world's largest uh, medical device manufacturers, these sort of folks that Mm-hmm. Um, make a lot of products with um, mostly today it's injection molding though our technology in the tooling space could also be used for die casting and, and stamping can it be used for sintering as well yeah. I guess I don't know what you mean by sintering in that case where you like put the you make a mold and then you put powder in and then you heat the powder like inside yeah, the mold I, I think yeah. so I think so like press and center is what we would make yeah yeah, yeah 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 yeah. I mean, one thing to realize here is that when you look at opportunity size, the metal casting market, which is really what I believe a vast majority of uh, other metal printing companies are attacking, mm-hmm. that's a $131 billion a year market. The injection molded uh, parts market is twice that size, $265 mm-hmm. billion per year in injection molded parts. And so our small innovation in in the tooling can have an outsized impact on a market that's twice the size of what everybody else is going after. Yeah, but I th- yeah, I think that's interesting. But I think what's more interesting is in a time when there's a crunch, you are and you at one point, if you make one of these guys, let's say L'Oreal or whatever, because we're allowed to talk about them, if you if if there's a, a mess up on their part, they're running behind, and you can save them a couple of days. Uh, and you save them from delaying a launch that they have to do or delaying something that has to be in a certain store in South Africa on a certain date, you know, that whole really complicated supply chain stuff, you can keep that integrity there. I think that's the way you you get lifelong customers, I think, you know. And, do, you do, and, and, do you do side work, Jaros? Because I'd love you to be part of the marketing <laughs> team. Was, um, that was very uh, well said and very much, you know, the value that we add. I'm very expensive, but yes. <laughs> um, it's like a McKinsey guy, but then funny. That's, that's oh, how you okay. need to see me. Um, okay. Like Perfect a, like for a, marketing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, um, so that's so, interesting. I think, yeah, Max, go. Yeah, yeah it's, so the machines, you have machines, right? You're making machines now and you're selling the machines? Yeah, good question. Sort of where are we sort of on our trajectory here? Exactly. Yeah. Um, we have been... Predominantly building, refining our machines in our facility in the hotbed of West Coast manufacturing downtown San Francisco for the past years. And our first machine deployments, which are already uh, signed and um, uh, have a payment agreement in place, will be this quarter of this year. And then uh, toward the end of this year, we'll be in more volume deployment of the systems. And so we're sort of at that cusp of uh, putting the machines in the hands of customers, but the parts themselves. Um, have been in the hands of customers for quite some time now. They've just been printed from our facility and shipped to customers. And does San Francisco really make sense? I mean, I mean, <laughs> no, I, wait, I, yeah, I brought that question on myself with my comment there. I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's so expensive. It's so insanely expensive. You have to get like you have to exit like a company to be able to afford a house. 
Yeah. So <laughs> it, it makes sense for right now because we've pulled together a team of experts in the areas that are, are really important for us. And it goes beyond, you know, metallurgy, which you wouldn't normally find in San Francisco. But my co-founder, you know, is, is an expert at these metal, metal pace coming out of PhD in Stanford. And it goes toward the controls experts that can make your machine move and the robotics components and the software needed to be able to automatically um, break down a part into the additive and subtractive steps to get to the quality we have. And so it's really about talent for us. Um, and then on the manufacturing side, our first systems will be uh, built and manufactured in San Francisco, but we source significant components uh, from other manufacturers that then come to our facility for final build and tests. And so, you know, we're not, uh, we don't have a five mile long assembly line that these things come off of. We uh, source significant components and then, you know, being able to do that validation and test right next to the guys that, that develop the machine makes a lot of sense. Longer term, we'll certainly uh, move that manufacturing step uh, further further afield, uh, but our R&D will likely stay in the Bay Area for you know the next few years. Companies really end up, the biggest moment where, where we can track failure is a moment where they either they outsource production. <laughs> so in yes. OEM, the moment when they start doing outsourcing or production is the moment that a lot of them go from zero to hero. I was going to say, our, our final build and test will always be at a mantle facility, at least as we anticipated right now. It just may, that portion may move elsewhere. But yes, we we certainly source components uh, aggressively to make sure that we don't have to recreate the wheel. <laughs> if you can disclose, how much is one of these machines going to cost uh, someone right now? And I'll give you. What do you anticipate the future number to be? Or give me yeah, the future number. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a ballpark. Um, a traditional um, uh, laser-based metal printing machine has been around a million dollars for a while. That you can get them cheaper, and you can get them much more expensive. Um, our technology will be about a third that cost um for our first system yeah. also installed with all the hvac and the level floor and all the stuff huh you're looking at shelling out a lot more huh so if you traditionally with a center-based approach and a non-laser machine you may have to you may actually in the total installation be uh, significantly cheaper as well huh yeah I, our system is way less complicated and less dangerous than a binder jetting system or in a lot of ways even a a DMLS system because we don't have an open bed of metal powders floating around that, you know, if you accidentally drop a wrench into it's going to loft mm-hmm. this stuff up into the air that none of us should be breathing. Uh, mm-hmm. Ours is, you know, or captured in explode. This, or explode. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> or explode. No one likes that. Um, so, so the facilities uh, requirements mm-hmm. are, are much, much less than most of our competitors. And so the mm-hmm. build out is, uh, you know, it's not as small as the, the MIM-based uh, FDM machines like MarkForge mm-hmm. is is producing, but it's certainly not far off, to be honest. Okay, that's a big difference. Also, the space as well, especially yeah, if you're talking the- about uh, U.S.-based operations and stuff like that. The space will be uh, really key as well. Yeah, the our, our, I will say if there's one thing that we haven't optimized for in our first units, th- these things are not small. This is not a desktop system. This is mm-hmm. more akin to you know a small CNC machine. Than it is to a uh, you know a desktop three uh, D printer, mm-hmm. um, but we've also found that our customers are planning to put these into you know a CNC or EDM machine shop type environment, and so that size hasn't been a limitation except for you know maybe shipping costs. Okay. So wait, then how big a piece of tooling can you make with this? Good question. You know we're similar to 
the calculations you might get from a powder bed fusion machine where the machines are pretty big, but the envelope is, um, you know, in the uh, 250 millimeter cube dish range, something like that. Ours is oh, okay. our, our plan. Uh, our first machine will be um, uh, eight by eight by six inches will be the build envelope. And if you think about, you know, the plastic parts you see around you, that that covers a lot of parts. Yeah, it oh, does. Totally, yeah. <laughs> I think I think also just like saving money or reshoring, it's also a nice time to have this conversation. It's a nice time to 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 be to be trying to sell this product. I think as well. We're definitely seeing that in the macro trends, and you know we we heard it a tiny bit when we first started talking to folks way back when. But with with the pandemic and and the tariffs that were put in place, um, we're hearing more and more need to have local manufacturing, and it's not just this you know, sort of pie in the sky vision of the next generation of manufacturing, uh, you know, of, lo- of these local, you know, manufacturing hubs, it's, it's real need that's there today. Yeah. And also I think, I think operations people tend to love everything just humming, you know, and if everything's humming, they don't want to change <laughs> because that just <laughs> makes life horrible for them. But if, if it's, it's chaos anyway, or they have, you know, a bunch of guys not doing anything or, you know, an engineer sitting idle because like he doesn't have a part, then, you know, they, they more than they're, they're able to take on more change. I'm seeing a lot more kind of like these change management things really happening if there's a specific need, right? So not just like what people, companies are becoming a little bit more hesitant and then let's explore 3D printing, right? They're much more uh, active in let's implement 3D printing. And what we're seeing a lot more of, at least we are, is like, let's kind of explore 3d printing for this one specific solution, you know? So that's also really nice. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, I've heard lots of big OEMs that spun up a research group. And the first thing I do is look through all their parts to figure out what they can 3d print. And it's a, a two year process for them to, you know, come up with the three first projects that they can work on. And we just go in and say, Hey, show us your tool that you normally are going to make. And we'll show you that we can make it faster. It's a pretty straightforward value proposition that resonates. Yeah. But that also would make your sales cycle significantly faster than maybe the powder fusion guys. Yeah, I think the only uh, challenge we have on the sales cycle is just as we talked about that manufacturing guys are are used to doing things one way. And so there is a little bit of a qualification just to show them that these materials, for example, uh, you know, have the longevity, that they react the same way. And even if we've done all that testing, a lot of these guys want to see it themselves. So that's the only thing that really adds to the potentially to the process is getting them comfortable with the fact that this isn't some esoteric ceramic that behaves totally differently, but this is a material that they're used to. Where do you hope to be in like five years from now? Well, so we've talked a lot about tooling today, but but we're not a tooling company. Uh, we're not a molding company. We are a metal 3D printing company that has chosen a very narrow, specific path to market where we can add significant value. Um, but our technology has legs well beyond this. Um, as a startup, you know, I need to be very careful about my expenditures and where I focus. And I'm excited when we start selling later this year more openly. You know, I believe 60% of our customers will come from tooling and the other 40%, I don't know what they're going to do with it, but they're going to help us figure out what the next opportunities are. And the areas that I'm most excited about are um, continuing to be in sort of the high precision where you'd normally have to use EDM. So pretty low, lower to mid volume products. Um, but where the precision and surface finish that we can achieve is is really transformational. Um, other areas that I'm excited about is this idea of spare parts. And you've 
heard over and over again, you know, there's a, there's a future in which you go into your hardware store and say, Hey, there's a strange bracket, you know, it broke. Can you give me another one? And you come back the next day and they've got it for you. Uh, sort of Star Trek replicator type um, idea. The problem is people don't realize that today what you do is you, you would go to that store, you'd say this, they'd say, okay, great. They scan it. Let's say they print it. But what they get is a near net casting, this rough part. And they'd have to have an entire CNC machine shop and operators to figure out the fixturing, the tools needed, all these other operations to finish that part to the point it can actually be used and given to you. Our mm-hmm. technology with the surface finish, the sharp edges, and the, and the uh, tolerances that we can hit, I believe is the first one that can credibly deliver upon a spare part that comes off our printer and goes into a customer's hands. And that mm-hmm. opens up a yeah. lot of applications yeah. mm-hmm. uh, where it's, again, lower volume. But, you know, think of that one part that grounds a 747, how much value that has to an airline company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also I love I love like just uh, precision injection molding stuff for like medical or near medical, you know, I love that as a market as well. I think it's a, there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening there and change and precision and, and new competitors and, and stuff. And that kind of thing really excites me about your space, let's say. One of the um, nonprofits, I can't remember exactly which one now, in the lead up for when the vaccines were going to be ready for COVID, said that they'd place an order for um, half a billion syringes uh, yeah. to get ready to start inoculating the population. And mm-hmm. you just can't 3D print that many syringes directly. Mm-hmm. But we can print a tool that can speed up a supply chain like that in a huge way. And so it's it's mm-hmm. pretty fun to be you know, having that big of an impact where, where we are, you know, still a small part of the supply chain or the, mm-hmm. the process, but have an outsized impact. Cause you made like a, a million, you've made a million tools already or a million parts. So the, the, the number we've said is over a million final parts. And so that mm-hmm. means our tools have been used to produce that oh, many okay. plastic Four. parts. And so, <laughs> yeah. So I'll make sure that's, um, we have made that many parts with our tools. We haven't yeah. made that many tools yet, oh. uh, but we have done a lot of a lot of printing. I mean, yeah. uh, hundreds and hundreds of kilograms of yeah. of metal, maybe a th- hundred thousands, probably. Okay, okay, big big difference there. But okay, uh, uh, but but but, and I think I thought also really interesting that you guys went after all that stealth mode stuff. Your Series B round was well from what we've now come to expect, like relatively modest. I mean, was that really like, cause you did this in September and there was like, it was like crazy money, right? There was like hot money all over 3d printing. Everybody was like, trying to get rid of money essentially. And you guys went for like a relatively kind of like, what looks like a kind of modest raise in, in, in today's crazy context. Huh? Uh, but, uh, and is that, was that, was that you were just thinking like, let's take only what we need or what was the thinking behind that? Well, that first part is always the case. I think for me, I'm, run a pretty tight ship in terms of uh, that investment and proving out value before we um, take on a bunch of money at an, an earlier stage. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've done that all along uh, with our investors and we like to be able to show the value and, and then continue to raise from there. And so uh, we did mm-hmm. that round. We have uh, some corporates involved with the company that, that haven't been announced that were part of that um, as well that are we're working behind the scenes to, to help them see the the power of this technology and you know we'll continue to raise money as needed to to get where we need to go but we've we i believe we're one of the most cost efficient 3d metal printing companies that has has been developed i mean we've done a ton on on a really small amount of money compared to some of our peers especially the ones that 
you know, have gone into the public markets recently um, and, you know, maybe have had a hard time finding what the application is that's going to drive their next stage of growth, uh, which I think is a challenge for them. Yeah, exactly. When, when, you, I, was like, when I was looking your announcement, I'm like, how the hell did you not get money from Stanley Black and Decker? <laughs> Were they on vacation? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, I'll, I'll, well, I'll, that's, that's a good question. Um, to be honest, I think that, that people are starting to learn in companies like that, that, that going directly to the metal parts, because that's where they're all focused. They all say, hey, mm-hmm. let's, let's print a wrench or let's, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's more impactful for our business. And I think they're starting to realize that, you know, a wrench that costs 30 times more expensive because you've 3D printed it, you know, maybe we're not quite there yet on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the injection molding space is a, a really an area that can have a huge impact. And so um, mm-hmm. the companies that we've worked with directly or that, you know, have invested in us are the ones that basically mostly have come around to that. They've started a research, they thought about metal parts directly, then they've come back around to say, wow, tooling is a great application for this and we want to get involved. When do you anticipate you guys will be profitable? We're probably a couple years out from profitability, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a squirrely metric for a startup because that's right. not always the goal, right? I mean, my goal is <laughs> to be profitable and my goal is to, is to solve customer problems and build a, you know, a really strong growing company uh, that's, that's highly profitable. And people ask the same questions in terms of what's, what's your exit. And I say, you know, as I continue to build exactly that, a, a customer that, uh, sorry, a company that customers love, that's, that's profitable and growing, you know, those exit opportunities that they come about in, in spades. And so my focus right now is, is, is getting our first products out there and, and really showing the market that, you know, this is a new way to do these things that, that has legs today. And this isn't a five years from now, this will have an impact type of thing. This is us, you know, delivering upon the time and the cost reductions that the industry needs. All right. Well, thank you so much for that, uh, Ted. And thank you for being on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. And um, Max, thank you for being here as well. Oh, fascinating. Thank you. And thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, thank you uh, for your time and attention. And we hope you enjoyed it. Have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.